Ecclesiastes chapter 6 is where we are tonight. And when David asked me to look at this, I started reading and I was wondering, why? Why me? Why not one or two or three or twelve? Why six? But we are here. And hopefully we can gain something from this tonight. So I put a few thoughts together, a few points uh, that uh, um, I trust will be blessed. Now the way I tend to do these things that I, is that I give you my main lesson up front. So that if you fall asleep when we're gone, at least you would have gotten the lesson. Get the idea? And if the English gets too Nigerian, that is, the accent is getting too thick, at least you would have gotten the lesson up front. So I have titled this uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 6, Solomon, a portrait of a futile life. In a picture, you know, a portrait of a futile life. And how to avoid life as a dead end street. Most people see life as we start, we are going, we are going, we are going, and we are coming to the end, and we don't know where we are going. So I, I believe most of this chapter is talking about Solomon. And we'll see shortly. His experience, and um, hopefully we can learn from it and do the right thing. So the lesson is in slide number two, and I'm supposed to do like this. Is that what I'm supposed to do? To my right? Oh, technology, you have to learn these things. Sometimes you learn it on the pulpit. (laughs) All right. So what are the main lessons that I want you to get as we get into this uh, this study is that God must be given first place. If you want to be fruitful and you want to have a satisfying life, God must be at the center. Anything short of that, you are bound to end in a dead end street. And uh, our major pursuit in life what we need to do, our major goal in life, is knowing God. And um, ultimate response to life, to the best way to respond to life is to grow, if you like, in love towards God. You have great satisfaction in fulfillment if you are striving to know God and you are growing your love for him. You might not have lots of stuff but you have a life that is fulfilling and is satisfying. And satisfaction comes only by maintaining a vibrant relationship with God. So let's make sure we get the lesson. Now I have these slides interposed in between. So that means I'm going to repeat this and I, I might begin to sound like a broken record, but my hope is that when you're stepping out, when you're on your room, on your bed, you just say, my goal in life is to give God first place. Satisfaction comes when I'm, you know, that's I want you to remember 
Because once you remember that and then you begin to pursue that, you will be a happy person, even without lots of stuff. All right. Now I'm supposed to do like that. Knowing God, our main pursuit. We read a scripture here. <clears throat> I'm sure you are familiar with the way it says, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. But I like this translation because it's new and modern. It says, wise people should not boast that they are wise. Powerful people should not boast that they are powerful. And rich people should not boast that they are rich. If people want to boast, they should boast about this. They should boast that they understand and know me. They should boast that they know and understand that I, the Lord, act out of faithfulness, fairness, and justice in the earth, and that I desire people to do these things. So if we want to boast, this is what you should boast about that you understand and know the Lord. And I believe this knowledge is not mental accent where you know, you know facts about God, but more like knowledge born out of relationship. You are growing in your knowledge of God. All right. So n- knowing God, our main pursuit. And uh, <clears throat> Apostle Paul, who was a great scholar, a man that highly educated, highly influential, highly successful, when he came, after he became a believer and then started growing, he says this, all the things that were gained to me, this I have counted loss for Christ. Yea, indeed I also count all things, all things, the things that the world considers treasures and value, valuable. And you realize these things change, you know, with time, with generations. Some things are discarded and others are, you know, considered treasure. I said, I've counted all things lost for this purpose, for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord. And in Galatians, he makes this boast. He says, God forbid that I should boast except in one thing, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the, you know, the, if we need to boast, that's where we should boast about, that the Lord considered us worthy, or so to speak, valuable enough to send his son to die, and that we, of all people, were chosen to be God's children. And um, so <coughs> this is Paul's boasting, which we can emulate, Loving God. Our ultimate response to life is to love God. You know, in Deuteronomy 6, we read this. It says, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And it says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart should have it written. And this one catches me because I think I'm still about to catch up on it. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you, are, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, 
when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. Loving God is ultimately the way we should respond to life. Not loving stuff, not loving wisdom for the sake of wisdom, not loving great men or any of those, but God should be loved. Our heart should yearn and grow in our love for God. It's a prayer that we should pray for ourselves, for our children, and for those around us, that we will grow in our love for God. And uh, I think I have one more. Jesus speaking as the rich man, what he thinks, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. Let me say that this has not run out of fashion in terms of a requirement, in terms of what God expects of us. When we say, oh, it was for the Old Testament, no. Growing in our love for God is ultimately what we should be striving for and it's what we should be doing. Okay. The lessons have been put up front. God must be central. God must be number one. We'll have satisfying and fulfilling life when that is the case. So now let's go to our book, Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Here, Solomon makes a few points. Let's read maybe verse 1 and 2. Is I forgot what translation I have, but I have a translation <laughs> that I put up there. So I'm not sure whether it's King James or New American Standard. One of those. So He says, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun and is prevalent among men. A man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his souls lack nothing of all that he desires yet. God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. So he says, I've made an observation that I see, and he calls this an evil or something that seems strange. And he says, it's something that is prevalent among men, something that is common. That He's seen a man or a person that God has given riches, wealth, and honor. I mean, what do they talk about when you turn on the business news? They're talking about stock market crashing or this rich person, this one becoming billionaire, this one becoming millionaire. Or if they leave that, then they talk about those who are the powerful the president, the people that have all the high power or stuff like that, or the successful, the celebrities. Those are the ones. And Solomon wants us to realize that this is a gift. 
God gives to people this wealth, or if you like, these riches. But it also takes God giving them the ability to enjoy. You notice. It says, but God has not given them the ability to enjoy. In other words, God is the giver of life and all the gifts that is involved. Whether they are tangible gifts or the ability to enjoy the gift. You cannot run away from God. So, I believe Solomon says something here. Let's just pause because this is a central theme. Under the sun, this is common among the affluent, the rich, and the powerful. They have lots of stuff that they are blessed with. But we are not guaranteed that they have the enjoyment that comes with this stuff. I'm sure sometimes we look at them and say, oh, he's very rich. He must be happy. He must be enjoying life. Not always so. That's what he wants us to learn. And he says, I've observed this. I consider this to be evil. And uh, it vexes my soul. So after looking at this, he says, foreigners enjoy what this uh, man has. And he says, this is vanity and vexation of the spirit. I'd like to suggest to you, if you like, that this is a portrait of Solomon's life. That it wasn't just something that he observed in the life of others. It was something that he experienced in his own life. There was no man that had higher honor or riches or wealth than Solomon. God gave him that blessing. So let's read the next, let's get to the next slide. While he was king, God, on that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. And Solomon said to God, da, 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 da. You can read the rest. You know, you've given me this throne to rule. Give me, you know, the ability to be able to rule. Wisdom and discernment so that I can rule the people. Now, so verse 10 says, Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before these people. For who can judge this great people of yours. Then God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you and I will give you Riches and wealth and honor. Solomon said, there is an evil that I've observed. A man to whom God has given what? Riches and wealth and honor. Not just observed, the man experienced it. So God gave him riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall have after you have, you, after you have the like. So he had all these things that God blessed him with. 
But you know Solomon's story. This was an unselfish request. And God granted him the blessings. But as the blessings multiplied, Solomon's probably ignored God and didn't put him at the center. He forgot the giver and tried to enjoy the blessing. But you cannot enjoy the blessing without the giver because God gives the ability to enjoy. So God, I'll say, didn't get satisfaction from the blessing. He did not enjoy the benefits of riches and wealth and honor. And so I see Ecclesiastes chapter 6 as the portrait of Solomon's life. He's telling us that he has observed this evil. And it could apply to other men that are rich. Now let's go back. So I just wanted to bring that historical perspective in because this man is old and he's telling us his experience. And he wants us to learn. That's why I began my lesson by saying we have to make sure that God is at the center. We have to make sure that we give him first place. We have to make sure we grow in our knowledge of him. And if we are going to boast, we should boast in the Lord. So, let's proceed. So he says, there is an evil, we are back to reading, which I have seen under the sun and is prevalent among men, a man to whom God has given all this. And God's, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. We're not told what the foreigner is. But I mean, you've seen people that are rich and are blessed in so many ways. A foreigner may signify an adversary. It could be that somebody's blessed and is so wealthy, but he's sick. He doesn't have the ability to enjoy the wealth. It could be that somebody is blessed in so many ways, but in the home there is domestic conflict. There's always fight. There's always stress. I remember when I first showed up in North America because I had a feeling that when I get to Canada, North America, that's the land of affluence. I will never see anybody complain. That was the, That was my expectation that once I get there where there's lots of stuff, there will be no complaining. But remember, and then I came in here and then I realized people were not complaining about much other than crappy day, uh, just too stressful, work is so hard. And it bugged me because I thought with all the affluence, with all the wealth, with all the material possessions, complaining should be absent. It should be all joy and all smile and all happiness. And those of you that have been here for a long time remember the first time I was asked to preach, the title of my message was Complaining is Not for Christians. That was the first message. Because it bugged me, you know, because I just thought, why should they be complaining? I'm coming from a place where people are suffering and then they are smiling. They don't have a lot of stuff, but they seem happy. And then I realized, you know, Wealth, riches, blessings is not equal to joy and happiness. The two of them are not equivalent. You know, God gives the ability to have wealth, 
to end things, but he also gives the ability to enjoy it. And so we cannot exclude God from our equation. It must be central. So foreigners may signify anything. We are not told what they are. It could be sickness, domestic conflicts, natural calamity or disaster. It could be any of those. And those take away the joy of enjoying riches. So Solomon looked at this and said, this is vanity and vexation of spirit. And he calls it evil. And as I said, I believe that he was talking about himself. Because if you remember, Solomon had peace. Lots of peace. His father had war, but Solomon had no conflict. But he didn't finish well. He abandoned God. And did so many strange things and did not finish well. And I don't think he fully enjoyed the blessings that God gave him. Now, let's continue here. This is the situation. So ultimately, we must find joy not in what God gives, but who God has given. I don't know if you get that idea. As believers... As circumstances might change, you might be without a job like me. And I'm expected, you know, without job to be morose, to be sad. You know, when I see you, I just, oh, life is hard. Life is, it is hard. <laughs> but, I mean, if I go about doing that soon, everybody will be avoiding me. <laughs> so, but these circumstances change. Sometimes we are not as strong, as healthy as we want to be. And so joy must be gotten outside of stuff, but in a person. And that's why joy, uh, Paul could say to the people in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Not in your circumstance or situation, but in the Lord. When you think that Jesus Christ came to die for you and gives you hope and eternal life, there is reason for joy. And so I put that verse there that Solomon was looking for joy, if you like, in stuff. And God didn't give him the ability to enjoy that. But we have something better. We have the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that died for us. He might not have seen that picture, at least in his own frame, but we can. You know, he has come, he has died, he has given us life, he has given us hope. Our future is bright. And so ultimately, there's always reason for joy in spite of the circumstance, whether in affluence or lack. All right. Now, I think the next verses, if you, if you begin to do the nitty-gritty, uh, analyze the verse, you know, and just add this, it might, it might get a little bit uh, wonky. So we'll just retweet, and I will explain to you, you know, the way I see it. If a man... Father has a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, but the soul is not satisfied with good things. And he does not even have a proper burial. Then I say, better the miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and goes into obscurity. And its name is covered in obscurity. He never sees the sun, he never knows anything. It is better off than he. Oh, did I? Miscarriage, yeah. But even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place. 
All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? Now, I see these verses in certain ways. What I see in terms of a, a portrait of Solomon's life is that it kind of gives us the details of things he added, hoping that there will be fulfillment. All right. God has blessed me this way, so maybe I need to have more wives and more children. That will make me happy and fulfill me. And so he added more wives and more children. Or maybe I need to get on the best diet, the best exercise regimen, make sure that you know, my cardio is pumping so that there will be more years and that will make me happy. If I'm not happy today, probably as the years progress, I'll be happy. But if you're not happy today and God is not central, it probably means more years means more misery. Just a multiplication of misery. Or uh, it must be I need to embark on projects and Solomon embark on many projects. It's almost, it was almost like a restless man. I need to build this, I need to build that, I need to do this. That will bring joy. Or expand my mind, new education. So just get wisdom and all of that. So he added many things to his life. Hopefully that those will bring fulfillment. But they didn't. Because the ability to enjoy life comes from God. It's a gift. And we as believers are in the best place because we have the giver of joy himself. So we can enjoy life. And then he asked this, he said, well, maybe I should stop dreaming. I'm dreaming about adding new things and how tomorrow is going to be better and all of that, and it's not working. Maybe I should try to enjoy what I have. You know, someone would say a bird at hand is better than what, two in the bush? That's what he adds in the next verse. And then after doing all of this, he said it's still futility and striving after the wind. Now, I want to stress again, I hopefully I have my point there. To enjoy life, God must be given first place. In your house, at work, at school, in your relationship. To enjoy life, he must be at the center. And the major pursuit in life is to know God, not to acquire stuff. Nothing wrong with it. But our goal in life is to grow in our love for Jesus Christ. I believe if we pursue this, we will have joy, regardless of our circumstance or what we own. And satisfaction comes only by maintaining a vibrant relationship with God. And so I challenge you, how is your quiet time? A time where you study the word and pray. If it's rusty, you can you know, get it going. It's never late. Because it will bring joy and strength and encouragement. So, like I said, I interspace that in there. And then Solomon makes a few observations. And we can read together. He says, whatever exists has already been named and is known what man is. For he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to man? The point is, 
God is sovereign. He's in control. Mankind is not. You've seen a lot of scientists, a lot of uh, talking heads that try to talk as if they're equal with God. It's a waste of time trying to dispute with God and argue. If God is that wise, why did this happen? Why did that happen? As if God is answerable to you. Solomon is saying it's a waste of time to argue with God because he's in control. I believe Nebuchadnezzar learned this the hard way when God turned him from human being to something else. So we need to keep in mind that God is always in control. We might not understand every detail of circumstances. It doesn't mean that God is panicking simply because we don't understand or we can't figure it out. We are not in control and arguing with God is a waste of time. So Solomon, that's an observation that he makes as well. For who knows? Then I wrap up here. You see, the message is, say PowerPoints are good. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, take time. You know, you see the note, you take the note, and the preacher is done. <laughs> for who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his future life? He will spend them like a shadow, for who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? And the question I have for you is that does life seem futile for you? You know, most people have this idea. If only I marry, I'll be happy. And then they think that will bring fulfillment. And then they get married, and then they're like, hmm. Life is still not roses, a bed of roses that, oh, maybe I need to unmarry. And that's why we have such things in our culture. Because I'm just not happy anymore. And then they get unmarried, and then there's no satisfaction. That maybe I need to marry again. I just use marriage because it just seems something that happens. Another says, well, if only I have a big house. The house that I have right now is just so small. There's no space. You know, I don't have, I can't put this, I can't put that, I can't put my toilet. So I just need a big house. And then they get a big house and then just discover it's just a space. Just a house. They say, well, maybe I need to downsize. From a big house to downsize and I'll be happy. Or if only I have this job or that job, that job, or whatever it is. If only you can add whatever it is that people think will bring fulfillment. I just, I'm not picking on this, you know, for any reason. It's just, these are the common ones that just come to my mind. If only, if only, if only. The point being this, none of these conditions will give us satisfaction if God is missing. Satisfaction comes because we have a vibrant relationship with God. Solomon noted, he said, the man to whom God has given stuff and God has given him the ability to enjoy. So, if only, that seems to be the story of the world and I don't want us to fall into the trap. For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his future life, how will he will spend them like a shadow.
And, you know, there's another question. Sometimes we are fearful about the future. Who knows what will happen? God does. And that's why we need to fall in love with God. That's why we need to lean hard on God because he does. So we don't need to be afraid of the future. We don't need to think, oh, the future, I don't know what's going to happen. You don't need to know what is going to happen. You just need to know the one that holds the future and make sure that you are in the hands of the one that holds the future. And so the question is, is your house on the rock or sand as I wrap up? A passage worth remembering. The Lord Jesus was teaching in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. And as he was rounding up his message, which you can check it out, one of the longest sermons, one of the best sermons, covered every aspect of life. He summarized it this way. He said, therefore, whoever hears this saying of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Hearing what God says, and doing it. This will increase our knowledge of God. This will increase our love for God. This will make sure, this will ensure that our lives is centered around God when we hear his words and we do it. He says, I will liken him to a wise man. He says, and the rain descended, the flood came, and the wind blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears this saying of mine and does not do them. What he's saying is that hearing is not enough. We'll be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand and the rain descended, the flood came and the wind blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. I often think, just aside, Just as an aside right now, I often think that when a preacher preaches in general, I don't have the number, I don't have the statistics. It's only one out of four people that actually heard and do maybe what they've heard. You say, where did you get one out of four? Well, there were four grounds when Jesus preached. Four kinds of soil. Only one of them was good. The rest of the soil, they planted in the rest of the soil. Nothing happened. So sometimes I think when a preacher preaches to a congregation of four, one will hear and go with the message. Some will hear and say, oh, that one is for you. You do something about it. Or that one is not for me. You know, but that's an aside. The important thing is that when we hear the word of God, we should endeavor to do it because our house will be on the rock. That's what he says. And so the future is good and we can have joy because we have the Lord. Not pretend joy, not because life is easy, but because we have the Lord. So if anybody is to enjoy life, it has to be the believer. Then how can we have satisfaction in life? He said, you are tired of hearing this. God must be first place. God must be at the center. Our major pursuit is to know God. Our ultimate 
response is to love him. When we maintain an ongoing vibrant relationship with God, we can be guaranteed satisfaction. If people want to boast, the last three scriptures, they should boast about this. They should boast that they understand and know me. That's what God says. If you want to boast, and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. I believe if Solomon had done this, if he had practiced these scriptures, he would not have seen life as futile. He would have had satisfaction in life. But because he ignored God and was hoping that you could ignore God and have a fulfilling life, he found out the hard way that it's impossible to separate both. And Paul says this, and this I hope is what you get out with tonight, that God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the believer's joy and satisfaction. The Lord Jesus has died for us and has given us life that cannot be taken away. So our future is good. We can be joyful regardless of our circumstance. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We know that we are in good hands because we know you. We pray you grant us the grace to grow in our knowledge of you and to love you. Help us in all of our daily affairs to put you central. That you will be the number one in our lives so that we might have fulfilling and satisfying life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.